Hello, welcome to P-Cube, the one and only Pokemon Cube podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Martin, brought to you with Connor Lavelle. So, important P-Cube update is that we're going weekly. So, episodes will now be coming out every Thursday. And you can expect the next one to come out February 18th. Also, in the spirit of updates, Connor, let's talk about Cube League. How are you doing? How was your draft? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so, my draft was, I felt like it was really, really good. Um, seemed like people when we did top five like it got good feedback there which top five still hasn't come out yet because we've got some sound issues with that but that's a different story um overall i feel like my draft was really strong and uh but i i'm 2-1 right now i lost my last round i did lose my last round to who i thought had the best deck in the event it's best pal al he has this evolutions deck which evolutions is powerful uh but he also has a 1-1-1 flygon with a vibrava that we missed when we were doing balancing for the cube that you definitely should have knocked out. Um, it deals 20 damage for each energy in your opponent's discard, and then you shuffle them all back. So it deals like one for 150 in a lot of cases, and it's it's just crazy. Um, but yeah, so so essentially, and then he also has damage by Damphros. So he has a deck full of all of the strongest cards in the cube, essentially, like the cards that probably are a little bit too powerful and should have been removed, but we didn't quite catch them in testing. Um, and I did make a close game. I had a few bad coin flips. I had a bad prize here and there, uh, and he just played well in general. And, uh, and ultimately he was able to take the win. He beat me two one in that set. So I'm going to be out for revenge if I do hit him in top eight. Um, uh, but I feel good. I think my deck is really strong. I think I should probably make top eight. No problem. Uh, how about you? How, how have you been doing? So I, I've been doing pretty good. And before I get into that, what did you what did you draft? What are you playing? Oh right, that's a great question. Uh, <laughs> so I am playing type. I'm playing Typhlosion. Um, I'm playing like a Typhlosion kind of toolboxy deck. It uses a, basically all of the best at basic fire attackers in the cube. So it uses Latias EX Delta, which has 90 for three. It can attach energy to itself, which is great going first um, or just early in the game in general. Uh, I have Rayquaza EX from Dragon, which has like crazy damage output, but it takes a few turns to kind of get going. I have Mewtwo Delta, which when I bench it allows me to move my energy around. I have Zigzagoon, uh, Galarian Zigzagoon, so I can place 10 extra damage. And then I also have a bunch of scoop up effects. So I have AZ, Seeker, and Scoop Up Cyclone, which are all super, super strong with a lot of the Pokemon I have in my deck, including Typhlosion EX, which is kind of the cornerstone. When you evolve into Typhlosion EX, you get to search your deck for a fire energy for each one of your opponent's Pokemon on bench and attach it to one of your Pokemon. So you accelerate a ton of energy super fast and you're just like a really threatening, aggressive deck. Um, so that, that's where I'm at this league. That sounds really solid. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with uh, my draft for once. I usually, usually I've ended up with the mess in the past few cubes. <laughs> so uh, this time I, I drafted Kingdra. Oh, really specifically Legends Awaken Kingdra with the Dragon Pump. Discard 2, 60, 20 to uh, anything on the bench. Really good attacker, really efficient, really fast, really aggressive. So I've been using that a lot to just pressure board states. I've also been drafting that with the, uh, a few evolutions. So specifically Umbreon EX, which is basically as ability like Lycanroc uh, GX where you can bring up anything from the bench, put in the active. But it has this really cool attack too that does 20 for colorless and they can't retreat. So essentially if you see... oh. And they can't use any Poke Powers. It shuts so. off their powers, yeah, which is really nice. I was going to say, what I've been liking to do is with it, it's like if I see any, if I do, well, having access to open deck list definitely makes this a lot easier, but if I see that they don't play any switch outs or any way to attack with it, uh, I tend to just bring up the Claydol and just uh, basically knock it out with the with the first attack just to, you know, free prize on the board or, you know, use it to control the board state in other ways. The other thing I've been using is Espeon EX, which is just evolve something from the bench. 
really strong, especially when you're putting damage counters out there. I've been finding it's really nice just having an Eevee on the bench and then being able to do all of this random stuff to the board with it. So I've been having a lot of fun. I'm 2-1. Uh, it's funny enough, we were talking about in the last cube or last episode talking about your cube actually and how Ampharos is ten tends to be like an under appreciated line. I've run into a lot of good Ampharos decks. I don't know if you've run into any, but like damage by an Ampharos in this cube, which shuts off all Poke powers with a damage counter on them, seems really solid. <laughs> in this event, I have not. I fit one, um, but I do think that Ampharos is one of the most powerful archetypes in this cube, and I think people picked up picked up on that in general. I don't think there is a single uncontested Ampharos draft in the whole cube. So. Um, yeah, I, I do think it's funny that we were talking about it last time, and then this time it's like, Ampharos is really good. <laughs> yeah, my loss was actually to an Ampharos Jolteon deck, um, and basically he had he had it to where he would just evolve into a Jolteon EX, put a damage counter everywhere, and then go into damage by an Ampharos, and then I couldn't use Poke Powers. It was crazy. Oh my gosh, that's brutal. But, you know, I'm having a good time. I, I'm sure you're also having a good time. Well, guys, we'll keep you updated on our, our Cube League status you know let's try to see if we're both trying to make top eight we'll see how that goes you know cross our fingers right definitely cross our fingers and uh and play our hearts out that's kind of the kind of the thinking and if you'd like to get in the next cube league make sure you check out the cube discord where you'll be able to find any information for upcoming leagues or see the deck list that we're actually playing uh, right now um but now i think we should do our crack a pack which uh basically we take we're taking a, another stab at connor's cube and we're gonna be looking at a pack that Looks like it has an obvious pick, but there might be some reasons you'd stray away. You want to talk about it? Yeah, I'm super excited to talk about this pack. And uh, just for the future, I think we're probably going to do the same cube for about four episodes, and then we'll switch. It'll right. give you kind of a good idea for what we're looking at. It'll give you some more context. You won't have to like look at a whole new cube every single episode. Um, you'll be able to learn about the same cube and, and have that element of knowledge before we change over to another cube and kind of give you more information so um no no necessarily hard limits set for that right now but we're eyeballing about four episodes per cube that sounds about right but uh yeah going into the pack so we have regice from legends awakened which has regimove huge enabler for gyarados when that was in the format uh you can discard two cards from your hand force your opponent to switch if they are a basic pokemon uh, Scorched Earth as a stadium. Ariados from Unseen Forces has Reactive Poison and Spider Trap, very similar to one that was released recently. Uh, we have Carbink Break, always a powerful card. Shaman EX, the one from Roaring Skies, the format definer from long ago. Misty's Horsey, just a basic for the Kingdra line. Pokemon Communication, very powerful search. Lusamine, very powerful supporter in Stadium Recovery. We have the Chandelure with Fainting Spell and Curse Drop, which puts 60 damage wherever you would like on your opponent's board. We have Power Cancel Alakazam, interesting card, one of the very few card Pokemon has ever created that allows you to cancel an opponent's power on their turn. Uh, we have a Murkrow with a Dusk Stone, probably the best Murkrow in the cube, but as an evolving basic, not exactly high priority. And then we have Spiritomb from Arceus, one of the best setup basics there has ever been. And we have Draw for Everybody Plusle, which has for a colorless energy. You shuffle your hand into your deck and you draw one card for each card or each Pokemon that you and your opponent have on bench. So can be shuffle draw 10. A lot of the time it's at least a shuffle draw six, which you're pretty happy about. So that that's the pack that we're looking at right now. So uh, something funny that when you brought it up about Alakazam is that it has the power, like one of the few uh, Poke powers that interacts with your opponent. It's also just like one of the few Alakazam cards, period. So it's funny that they put that kind of ability on like a very underprinted Pokemon because of the Kazam uh, thing, or Kadabra thing. 
Yeah, yeah, I do think that. I think that it's the last Alakazam ever made. Mm-hmm. At least right now, you know, now that Ori Geller has uh, adjusted his stance on it, maybe we will see a change. But uh, for now, it is the most recent Alakazam ever printed, and it was printed in, I think, 2008. So 13 just, years Just some ago now. trivia for you guys at home. Um, yeah. But when you're looking at this pack, I mean, I feel like it, Shaman's the obvious grab, right? I, I think for an experienced cube player, Shaman might be, you know, the, the standout pick here. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of other cards that kind of compete with it. And that's why we've picked this pack is because it's there are so many cards that people are going to be inclined to go for uh, instead of Shaman. And I think that your deck is going to end up worse for it in the end. So we just kind of wanted to talk about those. Um, so starting off with uh, Carving Break. Carving Break is a super, super powerful attacker. Uh, you can accelerate to your fighting Pokemon. However, pack one, pick one. Not exactly the best opportunity to take a Carving Break just because Carving does only accelerate to fighting Pokemon. So even if you end up in a different deck and you can slot in the fighting energy to attack with Carving Break, you don't know if you're going to have the acceleration targets for that. So it's not going to be the safest pick here. Uh, Pokemon Communication is one of the best search cards in Cube, but one of the best search cards ever made. Shuffle a Pokemon from your hand back into your deck. Get any Pokemon back out, put it in your hand. Really, really strong. I would say that's probably number two to the Shaman here. Uh, it's close. But Shaman EX, so we'll talk about why Shaman EX is so strong, I guess. Um, being able to search your deck for a basic and draw cards is an extremely powerful effect in any format, and exceptionally so in Cube. Because anything that can allow your deck, which is going to be less consistent than a standard deck most of the time, to be as consistent as a standard deck is going to be an incredibly powerful effect. And with Shaman, you are instantly turning every single one of your search all Pokemon cards into a draw card if you need it. You're turning all of your basic search cards into a draw card if you need it. And it's just an extremely powerful ability to put into any deck, even in a cube where Shaman gives up two prizes, where it does in this cube. Um, it's still totally worth the the downside because being able to draw up to six. So like, let's say you start a hand with a Pokemon collector and no other supporter in a normal circumstance, that's not going to get you that far because the collector gets your basics and then you're dead. Well, you, you you have nothing else going on in that hand. But if that collector finds you two basics in a Shaman EX, well, I mean, you have one of the best turn ones that you could possibly have. You, right. you set up your bench, um, you draw up to a new hand of six, like you're golden. You're you're in a great spot there. So that's why Shaman is so powerful. Same thing with Uxie LA cards, pretty much just a better Shaman EX. Although Shaman's attack can be really strong in some circumstances, so not something to underestimate. And 110 HP is a lot harder to knock out for some of the spread decks in the cube, though it does give up two prizes. I was going to um, say on that note, too, depending on the cube that this is in, 110 isn't necessarily, you know, reachable for a lot of decks, depending on the power level. So if there's, like, a low-power cube and Shaman's in there, like, for some reason, <laughs> right? Um, it, it's not it's unlikely it's just going to get gusted up and knocked out like it would have been standard a long time ago or expanded. So yeah, that, that's, that's definitely a way you can leverage the two prizes. That's very true, especially in a cube like this. 100 damage is not something that a lot of decks are going to be able to deal in one attack. This cube does have a lot of different spread options, so you pick up the Shaman, and that's going to be somewhat of a liability, but it's always possible. Actually, I don't think there's any bench guard in this cube, so 
Um, definitely want to keep an eye on the Shaman. Maybe if you could pick up a scoop up effect, something to that effect to, uh, to pick it up later in the game. But it's like Andrew said, not going to be that big of a liability in a lot of cases because 110 HP is a lot in, in a mid power cube. Whereas when Shaman EX was around in standard, it was very, very weak and it was a major vulnerability when you had it on your board. But uh, if a cube doesn't have a lot of gust effects, if it doesn't have a lot of snipe effects, then that's another layer of protection the Shaman EX kind of has on your bench. So definitely a good call out there, Andrew. Um, Something else I kind of also wanted to bring up. It's funny since they just got ruined off the expanded ban list. Like how good is Lusamine and cube generally? So I think Lusamine is, is a weird card. I think right. at first you underrate it because it's slow and it is slow. Uh, and then I think people overrate it because they see how powerful it can be. They see people play it and it's really strong or they play it themselves and it's really strong and they're like, oh my gosh, this card is insane because it gets back some super powerful supporters or whatever. Um, and then I think eventually they settle on like Lusamine is a very good card, but it's not amazing like you would not take it over communication in pack one right. uh, so lusamine is at its best in a deck that has important stadium cards and in this cube That's there what i was gonna say too there are definitely decks where that is the case uh this deck has verbank city gym kind of synergies has stuff like rough seas just cards that you would really be happy to use a couple of times and uh and lucamine being able to get you back a really good supporter for the next turn and a stadium that's going to do something right now or going to make your deck way better is is the best that lucamine can be like it's so powerful when you can do something like that uh it's strong card baseline i mean cube is a slower format lucamine getting you back a supporter going to be really good no matter what unless your supporters suck but well right. that, that's going to be a rare case um but uh in general Finding that stadium and finding a supporter for next turn is the best that Lusamine can possibly be. And at that point, it's strong enough to take in general. I was going to say what's funny about this too is that it, it, it's interesting to me to see how the context of these cards changes now that it's in queue as opposed to like, let's just say playing and expanded. Where if you think like Zoro Control back in the day would always just Lusamine chain or supporters or Sylveon did it too, you know, you just think about this card is really good at Lusamine chain and that's all we really ever see. But in cube, it's, I feel like it's different. Like, I'm looking at this car like, okay, I can maybe I'll grab like my curse stone and another supporter for next turn, or I'm thinking about um, resources with this card. It's definitely a lot different than like the, I guess, quote unquote, degenerate combos that it's usually played in, which is I think why, why Cube is um, really good at re-outfitting cards, uh, just because of the context of what's in them. Yeah, no doubt that that is definitely correct. Uh, so then, are we, so we're not we're not really looking at the carving. We're not looking at the lucamine, and then we're looking at the peacock. Might be like a like if I was to see this maybe without the shaman, peacock's probably the next first pick, right? Yeah. So so the other cards that you would consider in this pack, um, if you really wanted to be in chandelure, you might even take the chandelure over the shaman. Uh, I don't think there's any compelling reason to take the chandelure that highly, unless it just like sounds really fun to you that run, but. Um, in general, like if your goal is to win, Chandelure is a great deck to be on. I mean, this this cube is generally very balanced. Uh, you're going to be able to get into other archetypes. So plus be, er, passing on that Chandelure and seeing it being taken means that you're going to be able to kind of rule out Chandelure for your draft. And, and then you're going to have a better draft or it wheels, you get it on the second go around and you know that you probably have an open Chandelure draft. So uh, there there's some value to letting that Chandelure go intentionally that we've talked about in previous episodes. Um, you are also looking at this power cancel alakazam that we talked about. 
during your opponent's turn, once you can discard two cards from your hand and you can cancel one of their powers, they can't use it for the rest of the turn. So really strong effect. Uh, it is on a stage two, which you're going to have to get out. It's going to be a little bit difficult. There are cadavers in the cubes. So you don't have to like candy into it or anything like you <laughs> would have in its format. But uh, it, it has a very powerful ability that in any deck that's kind of lighter weight, uh, a deck that uses a thinner attacker line, a stage one, maybe even basics, Alakazam's going to be a great option. Uh, but not not as generally useful as Shaman. It's going to be really hard to fit Alakazam into a deck that's already got a really thick Pokemon line, for example. Uh, and then the last card that you really look at here is the Spear Tomb from Arceus. Now, the best basic setup Pokemon are the ones that have free attacks. And Spear Tomb is one of those Pokemon. So I would put Spear Tomb about on the level of Pokemon Communication. This early in the draft, when you don't know if you're going to be on like SP or Stage 1s or Stage 2s or whatever, I like Communication more because it's going to be in any deck you play. Whereas if you play like an SP deck, Spirit Tomb is not a useful card for you. Like right. You're never going to be able to take advantage of Darkness Grace. But if you end up in a Stage 2 deck, the Solid Chance Spirit Tomb is better than Pokemon Communication for you because you can play like a Search 3 basic card... You can get your Spear Tomb out. You can start evolving right away. It's so good. So I would say Spear Tomb is probably like the number three pick in this pack. Um, but that's you. You wouldn't go for it over the Shaman because what Shaman does is so powerful, and Shaman is going to go in every single deck you play, no matter what. Right. Yeah. I don't know what deck wouldn't play Shaman just because. I mean, you shouldn't necessarily be worried about the two prizes. You can play around that, and the draw power is so game changing at times. Like when you're just able to find the cards you need. Like, that's obviously the, the you know what your goal is every turn. So having Shaman just be able to, like, even breaking down your hand with something like Ultra Ball, let you deck thin, then grab Shaman, and then draw. Like, it combos really well with some of the best cards in the cube. Yeah, it's it's going to be a powerhouse in any deck you play it in. But I think, I think too, um, like, if we gave this pack to maybe, like, 100 people, I don't know if 100 people would always take Shaman. I agree. I think... Um... I think this pack would see a fair bit of variety. I think people would take probably every single one of the cards we talked about uh, as far as being other possible contenders. And uh, they might all end up with great decks. And and that's one of the really cool things of, about Q because you have all of those different options and they can all have positive outcomes. So we, we talk in these cracker packs about how, you know, the best card in this pack is X for, for pack one, pick one. But... Um, there are so many good cards in this pack. There are so many different ways this draft can go. And uh, and I do think that this pack is one where if you gave it to a bunch of people, sure, Shaman is probably the card that gets the most picks, but I think all those other cards get some as well. Yeah, and like if you're watching on YouTube, I, we would be really interested to hear what your pack pick one would be in this pack. So feel free to let us know in the comments. We would love to respond and like get to know your guys' thought process and what you think about this pack. Feel free to let us know. Definitely. Very excited to hear what people think. All right. So I think uh, we've talked about this pack for long enough. Um, we have a lot to talk about in just one segment. We're going to be talking all about how to draft and how to basically draft in a way that's going to give you the best odds of winning because we all love to win in cube, right? So I feel like with cube, you have two goals. Either you want to win or you want to like meme and either way you want to have fun. But uh... who doesn't want to draft a good meme deck, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely alright so stick around we'll be right back with the next segment 
Are you looking to see some high level cube gameplay? Well then I encourage you to check out the second half of the Champions Cube being streamed live on our Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash p3podcast. This is going to be happening February the 13th, this weekend at 8.30am Central. Now, on to the next segment. Alright, welcome back. So, we've kind of gone through this progression of what is cube, how to build a cube, and what does a cube look like. Now we have to talk about probably one of the most important parts about the format, and that is drafting. Connor, how important is drafting in the cube? I mean, drafting drafting is the number one most important part of the process, I would say. I mean, the, the thing that influences your ability to win more than anything else in the cube is how well you draft. And and then by extension, how well you build your deck. But building your deck is once again originated and kind of predicated on drafting. So Yeah, when you have a pool of just bad cards, it's hard to make a good deck out of it, you know? <laughs> exactly, yeah. If you don't have the cards there to make a good deck, then it doesn't matter how much know-how you have about how to make a good deck. <laughs> and, you know, traditionally what happens is like, it's unlikely you get to the end of the draft and you're, you're, you have drafted maybe like, nothing but um what you'll find is and especially as you're getting better at drafting is that there's always lines of play per se when you're in a pack and when you when you figure out how to give yourself the most options in in the draft you don't you generally end up on the other side with a lot you know a lot better deck just because you allowed yourself to have those kind of cards and we'll get into what that means as you go through this but um, just kind of think there's always, I, I find draft to be probably the most interesting part of cube just because there's a lot of new, like a lot of little things you can do to get better at it. And I find myself always learning new, new ways. It's kind of like, I don't know, to me, it's kind of like poker in a sense where it's like, I'm dealing with un- imperfect information. I have to like make a decision. So when I'm in a pack, I have to like decide on a line of play and that could influence the rest of the game, but I don't have perfect knowledge. So you find out, you know, later on if you made the right choice, but, um, without getting too far into that we'll we'll basically go through uh, all the basics and try to at least give you some sense of strategy and how to look analyze your draft uh to have a more um cohesive deck at the end of it so connor how do you want to kick this off so i think the first thing that if you're getting into cube or if you are experienced in cube and you're really trying to like get to a point where you can succeed the very first thing you have to do, the very first thing you have to think about is you have to make a deck that sets up and works. That is the number one thing that you should attempt to do every single time when you are trying to level up your cube game. Just set up, execute your strategy every time. So pretty much like, you know, any deck in standard, you need to think about you want your deck to do what it's supposed to do as many times as possible right to win games exactly yeah yeah so um and it's it's simple and it's also complicated to do that um you can just take one line and supporters and um your your deck will not be great by doing that but it, it will be good enough a lot of the time and good enough is so much better than horrible it's so much better than like the mess <laughs> that the mess is a term that i coined in an article a little while back it seems that people have, have liked it uh it essentially just means like any deck that doesn't do what it's supposed to do or it doesn't do it very well, reliably you know why because we've all been there yeah you, know, you get you get to the end of the draft and like you you, you didn't get the cards you thought you were going to get and then you just kind of left with this pile of garbage <laughs> 
quite literally the mess. Yeah, I mean, you look at it and you're like, oh man, this is a mess. And it, it really, it's like a it, very descriptive word for... Shoving like 30 basic energies to <laughs> compensate. Yeah. So uh, first thing you got to do is make a deck that works and it, it just does what it's supposed to do. And in some cubes, especially as you creep into high power, like that's going to be more and more important and even enough to win. And especially if your group is not super high skilled, then pretty much every single time the deck that wins is just going to be a deck that does that. Uh, but once you once you get to playing with better players, once your group improves, um, then you're, you're going to need to level that up a little bit. But uh, at the baseline, just set up and, and go. Make sure that you've got enough supporters. Make sure you've got a thick enough line. Make sure you understand what your deck's trying to do. And uh, and that's kind of your first step. So when you're thinking about, like, you know, making a deck that works, I mean, like, let's just say, like, I'm looking at my cube line. Um, you should probably have an idea, right, of, like, what your line is trying to do. Like, if you're playing more of, like, a defensive archetype, maybe understand the cards that make those archetypes good. Conversely, like, maybe you're playing, like, probably a better example is, like, maybe a fire deck than fire acceleration. Well, you're passing up Welder and Blacksmith. Those are great cards for your strategy. Those are definitely going to be ones you're going to look at more, you know, highly if that's kind of the archetype you're going for. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, and I totally agree. So, yeah, just make sure, like, you know, I, I think first and foremost, just make sure, you know, if you're committing to a line that you are dedicating your, you know, your resources and drafting to making sure that deck works. So I guess like the first thing is what cards do you necessarily meet, need to make a deck work? Right. It's it's easy to say like, you know, make it work and set up every time. But if you don't have the knowledge, especially if you're new to Pokemon in general, then um, then it's going to be hard to to just do that with no knowledge. So uh, the, the, we're going to go over the cards that you actually need to make your deck work in general before you look at the other parts, before you look at making your deck super, super good, the cards that you need. Uh, and the first and foremost, number one, I've said it so many times, I'm going to continue to say it, uh, it is supporters. You need supporters in your deck. They are so important. The two kinds that you need more than anything else are the kinds that draw you cards and the kinds that search you Pokemon. Uh, or, or search you other cards that are important for your strategy. So draw and search. Those are your top priority in most situations. You're pretty much always going to put a bunch of them into your deck. I like to have at least 15 in every single deck between supporters and items. It does vary, but you definitely do not want fewer than that. Um, and uh, sometimes you can get Pokemon that'll draw you cards, but supporters are going to be the place that almost most of your cube decks get their consistency. Yeah, and I think that's just solid deck building advice in general. Pokemon's a game where you're going to be needing to essentially dig through your deck multiple times. It's not like Magic or Yu-Gi-Oh! where there's, you know, more turns to just draw a top deck the cards you need or build a hand. Like, you are needing to actively pursue cards to set up your strategy. So, finding cards like perhaps Baby Search or even, like, Juniper are, like, going to be very like paramount for getting you, you know, a consistent strategy. Because you, if you can't find the Pokemon you're looking for, you're never going to set up, right? Right. I mean, Pokemon has always been a game of looking through your deck and executing the same strategy every time. It, it makes it very different from Magic in the sense that Magic, you're going to play a different game every time. But in Pokemon, you're going to play the same game every time. <laughs> More, you're going to try you know, to, at least. <laughs> you're going to try to. You're going to try to do the same thing basically every time. 
Um, and your ability to do that is really dependent on the quality of your supporter line, the number of supporters you have, things like that, things that really allow you to find your Pokemon, find your energy, find whatever you need for your deck to go off, and then get them into play and attack or heal or whatever that is. I think supporters too are also like a reason why they're also priority. They're generally going to be one of the more stronger cards you play that turn. Since the effects are limited to once a turn, they're generally higher. Of course, context is really what matters here. But that's why supporters specifically are going to be very important because they are going to be kind of like the almost like the linchpin for getting you to where you want to go. As for instance, search, draw, or whatever you need. Definitely. Um, so, um, other things too, so we usually prioritize supporters, but then there's also an exception, right, to the rule where there's like, if there's obviously a very powerful card, like let's just say Professor Oak is in the pack, or maybe even a, a, a gust effect, like Lysander, for some reason, <laughs> um, that could potentially outweigh that option, right? Yeah, I mean, draw and search are not the end-all be-all by any means. You You generally want to prioritize those first and foremost, however... If you look at a pack and there's like an energy removal in there or a gust of wind or a professor oak or just cards that are so incredibly powerful and game warping on their own, then you take those cards. Uh, you know, you, you don't have to yeah. don't have to worry too much like, oh, no, you know, I'm passing up this supporter for like a gust of wind. Like it, it's it's OK. Take the gust of wind. Like the gust of wind is a very powerful card. Uh, super, super high power cards in general are perfectly fine to take over supporters don't essentially don't take anything that we say as an absolute rule more as a guide right i was also gonna say like these aren't these aren't rules they're just guidelines a way to help you at least evaluate a pack more clearly for sure all right so definitely the foundation of any deck is going to be supporters but then outside of that too i mean there's item item search item draw is going to probably fall into a similar category when you say yeah, I'd say so that that count of 15 that I said earlier, I would say like combining your item search, your item draw, your supporter search, supporter draw, you want to be at least at 15. And ideally you end up higher than that. But 15 is kind of the baseline where it's like you have a reasonably consistent deck and uh, an item search and draw definitely factors into that as well. Uh, it is worth mentioning that some of the weaker item draw, so like Pokedex Handy 9 10S, um, Acrobike, you know, those cards, not super powerful effects. So I, it, I wouldn't necessarily count those toward your 15. Those are just going to be cards that help you set up faster. But um, they're not going to, like, help you execute your strategy every single time. In most cases, they're just going to help you get there a little bit easier, a little bit faster. So um, generally, you want cards like Ultra Ball, Dual Ball, um, I mean, even even Pokeball can be okay. Um, just half the time, search a deck for any Pokemon. It's not great, but it's definitely not bad. Like, most of the time I draft Pokeball, I'm probably going to put it in my deck just because that effect is good. Um, searching, drawing cards, that's that's what you want. So th those the items that do that, they're also going to be very high priority, and a lot of the time they're going to be higher priority than the, the supporters that do that because they, they do it without taking your supporter. Right. So allow you to do even more with your turn. Yeah, exactly. That that's why we talked about the Pokemon communication earlier being such a powerful card. It's essentially a, a supporter level or an almost supporter level effect on an item. So you you get a lot more value out of that card. Um, but then the other side, uh, and then stadiums can do that as well. Um, like turf field stadium, we've seen recently. Search a deck for an evolved grass Pokemon, really really strong in cube. 
anything that helps you set up um, Scorched Earth, Heat Factory, Brooklyn Hill. Hill. Yeah, lots of good examples. I'm sure we could probably sit here for a little bit about it, but uh, for sure. Moving on from that search and draw, you're looking for powerful utility as well. So that is healing, Pokemon Center Lady, super huge powerhouse card in many cubes. Uh, the highest power cubes where there are a lot of one shots, probably not as strong, but those mid power, those low power card cubes, uh, Pokemon Center Lady, Gardenia, stuff like that, so strong. Uh, Disruption, so that can be Flare Grunt, that can be Judge, that can be Reset Stamp, anything that makes it more difficult for your opponent to play their game very strong, especially if, so in a case like Judge, say you have Claydol, you can play a Judge, and then you can use Cosmic Power and draw up to six cards. So it really didn't affect you at all, but it made your opponent's game harder to play. So in cases like that, Disruption suddenly escalates way up. Like Disruption becomes one of the best cards you can put in your deck. And then damage. So stuff like Professor Kukui, Bucks Training, even Leon, I've seen in a couple of cubes recently, that, cubes, that card's so strong. Um, <laughs> Iris, Black Belt, all those cards that add damage to your attacks make it easier for you to take knockouts. Those are also important considerations as well, just because in the situations where you're playing a really close game or if your opponent has a super important Pokemon that you need to get a knockout on because it's wrecking your board or like they have nothing else, um, then those those damage boosters are definitely going to be valuable. So do not uh, do not underestimate those. I think also, too, just understanding that these cards also help you leverage like comebacks in the game too like if you think about judge if your opponent is sitting on like an eight card hand and you can't do anything about it it's you know higher odds they're going to find the specific card they need so being able to at least lower their hand size increase the odds that you that they maybe don't find their key pieces is uh you're going to generate more wins from that um every now and then too so that's that's a good thing to consider yeah staring at your opponent with a gigantic hand and you just you're hoping that they don't have certain cards it feels bad <laughs> not being able yeah. to disrupt it so having some a lot dis of disruption there like even like tool removal can be very useful or like field blower in certain circumstances too when you're dealing with stuff like weakness policy and this side and the other yeah absolutely like enhanced hammer crushing hammer um things like plus power max potion i mean they're they're not necessarily cards that fit into that disruption specifically but they are cards that can allow you to kind of play outside of your means you know make plays right in ways that your opponents are not ready for and uh and if you make a play like that in the right situation you can win the game that's something i definitely want to consider so you definitely need uh consistency as like a as a baseline so like kind of talked about the 15 and then also consider these other cards like reset stamp or even like you know pokemon center lady or uh, Kukui as something that you can, you know, as leverage in the game. So those cards too in your deck will help you generate more wins just because of the advantage of, like I said, playing outside of your means. Exactly. Uh, did we, um, did we need to touch on recovery yet? That is, yeah, that is, that is something that we should definitely go over. Um, recovery, I pretty much put on the same tier as search because in a cube, a lot of the time you are not going to have like four of your most important card <laughs> in, in like right. standard and expanded. You're going to have as many of a certain card as you need in your deck. And that's just the nature of the game, but in cube, you're not. And that's also the nature of cube. Um, even if you're playing in cube with super high counts of everything, recovery is going to be super important because being able to reuse your best Pokemon 
instead of being forced to use like a suboptimal attacker or even your worst Pokemon for a situation, that's so different. Like being able to reuse, say, your shadow stitching Greninja when you really need to shut your opponent's abilities off instead of Mist Slash Greninja from X and Y, that is literally game defining. So recovery is so, so important. And you also need to be able to take six prizes in a game. And recovery is going to be one of the things that allows you to make sure you are able to do that. And you are able to weather your opponent attempting to do that as well by knocking out your attackers. So uh, also important, energy recovery. Um, a lot of decks in standard play super fast, so this is kind of fallen by the wayside. But in cube, it is definitely important. You will run out of energy if your count is too low and you don't have recovery. So I always like to have at least one energy recovery card in pretty much every deck. And if I don't, I try to go for a higher energy count. Yeah, I think even if you're running like 15 energies, like just when you get through the entire game, if you're setting up like three or four attackers that take three energies each, like you can see how the energy would just get like knocked off quickly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, recovery in general, both Pokemon and energy is, is so important for almost every deck. And I think the main difference too between like a cube game and like maybe standard is that the games last a fairly long time. Like you're going to have like a lot more turns in a cube game where everything's generally giving up one or maybe two prizes at most than you will like, you know, current game of standard where like, you know, you give up like three prizes for every B-Max. So um, generally in like, you know, standard, you don't necessarily have to consider having all of this energy and recovery available to you because the turns, you're not going to have enough turns to even worry about it. But in cube, absolutely you're going to have that come up a lot and you're dealing with more one-up situations so um being able to get back spiritual pieces is a big deal so definitely don't undervalue stuff like rescue stretcher super rod those things are very important for yeah. your drafts as well as cards like uh, brock's grit that allows you to get like six energy season pokemon back that's another like huge supporter that i feel like kind of gets underdrafted when you say yeah i do think that some of the lower tier uh recovery cards do get underdrafted things like brock's grit um, super rod night maintenance I would put at a tier similar to like an evolution incense just a really powerful surge card and then your premium recovery your pokemon retriever pokemon rescue or uh, not pokemon rescue but rescue stretcher those I would put uh, on par with something like a communication even just because they are so good in every deck I mean it, it doesn't matter what your deck is recovery is going to be incredible Yep, and then I guess the last piece that, I don't know, I feel like it's kind of, you don't know if you're always going to have it in cube, it's Gust. You know, like, I don't know how often you see Lysander come up, but cards like maybe Pow Extension or Countercatcher, like, how uh, important are those to draft, would you say? It depends on your deck. Uh, so, in general, just Universal Gust, Lysander, Guzma, they're the most powerful effects you can possibly have. Uh, regardless of power level, regardless of what your strategy is, if you see a Lysander or Guzma in your pack, especially if they're rare in the cube, take it. Like there, there is right. nothing that can beat that, other than maybe like the most important stage two in your line. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it kind of goes back to you need a deck that works, but yeah, definitely right. Gust is a huge advantage. Yeah, it, it's a tremendous advantage when you get into the more conditional Gusts, say like Custom Catcher, Counter Catcher, Pow Hand Extension. Then you kind of, so they're very good, just outright. Um, but then you have to kind of look at the tempo of your deck as well. So if you expect to be super, super fast and your deck just has a strategy where you want to get going as quick as possible every single time, well, Countercatcher and Power Hand Extension, not quite as powerful as they would be. However, 
if your strategy is to kind of spend a couple turns setting up and get a couple of stage twos online, you know, take your time, then those cards are going to be extremely powerful. They're basically going to be as strong as Lysander and Guzma because you're going to have them live for at least half the game. So anytime you're able to reliably pull off an effect like that, I mean, that's going to be huge for your strategy. So and even if you're on an aggressive strategy, you know, if you come up against another aggressive strategy and they just happen to be a turn faster than you, then those effects are going to be huge. Like that can literally win you the game on the spot, getting a good pow hand extension off if you're playing an aggressive mirror. So um, there are a lot of reasons to take those cards and you should definitely not undervalue them, but definitely don't overvalue them as well, I would say. Yeah, definitely use, I mean, like, definitely use your best judgment when you're drafting because like you will you will know what's in your draft pool right so you can't like it's hard to say like you should always take x card because x card might not always be good in your deck depending on where you're at in the draft and all this other stuff so definitely like you know do what you know you think is right but if you're stuck these are hopefully good guidelines um just to recap because we covered a lot of ground so basically if you're looking for just like a baseline of what cards you're going to need when you're drafting it's going to be search and draw your supporters like either Pont or uh, Juniper for draw or like um, or like Collector or uh, Celios for search. But then you also there's also in the form of items too or stadiums for like Ultra Ball or like Brooklyn Hill. So that's kind of like your floor is your search and draw is going to be some of the most important cards. Outside of that, you're going to have cards that are going to be more power, what we call power cards. It's going to be your healing and disruption and damage modifications. Um, That'll help you get leverage. That'll help you close out games. Probably shouldn't. You might not have won otherwise. So um, definitely keep those in mind when you see them. And then uh, recovery to help you stay in the game. Those are also going to be important cards to see. Like uh, like Connor said, like uh, or, or, <laughs> Andrew Schubel, uh, uh Rescue Stretcher uh, is going to be a, a powerful asset. So stuff like that's going to allow you to get back your most important Pokemon in your line or recover energy. All great cards. Yeah. Uh, just so many so many important things to think about even at that baseline which is why I say you know making a deck that sets up every time and does what it's supposed to do every time it is simple but it's also complicated because even at that base level there are a fair few things you need to think about and and a fair few things that you need to kind of evaluate in each pack like do I need more recovery or do I have enough recovery or do I am I able to use this conditional gust effect really well so there are things that you're going to have to think about, but uh, there are a lot of ways that you can make your deck kind of function at a base level good enough to right. win at least, you know, go 2-1, which 2-1 solid record in most three rounds. <laughs> yeah. And I'd say if, if you're stuck and this sounds kind of confusing, I, I would just start with draw and search. Like that's just prioritize that and nothing else. Right. If, if you, so here's the thing. If you have gust and you don't have draw and search you're gonna lose if you have draw and search and you don't have gust you're okay <laughs> like your deck will still work you still get to play cube so uh think about it think about it that way like if i don't have draw and search then i don't get to play the game but if i don't have these other things eh, my deck might not be as good but at least i still have something yeah so i, I like to think of you know if you need you just need a you're stuck in a pack. You don't know which one to pick. Um, you, just, you you really you're better off picking the draw and search if you just if you're completely stuck. Yeah, take the consistency. When in doubt, take yeah. the consistency. 
So then I guess we should move on to what all that consistency is for, and that's actually getting Pokemon <laughs> from the draft into your deck. So um, I think the thing that's always hard is figuring out what Pokemon to even take, because even in our crack pack I mean, there's several basics in Stage 1s that, like, uh, like is it when is it the right time to take those? You know, it kind of gets a little bit weird. Yeah, Pokemon are... Again, they're simple but tricky. Uh, you so so the first thing you need to think about is your main line, whether that be stage two, some stage ones, or even one stage one, big basics, a combination. Uh, think about your primary strategy. Think about whether you want to be an aggressive deck. You want to take it a little bit slower. Maybe build up some stage twos that work well together. Um, maybe you want to play a full on control deck. You know, different things like that. A really good thing to think about even from the beginning of the draft. Um, and, and it's not always possible, especially if you end up in control. Like a lot of the time, that's a decision that's kind of made midway through um, if you're not seeing a lot of other archetypes. But you basically make your decision based on what you're seeing. So if you are, you know, if you have two Typhlosions and it's pack two, then odds are you're probably good to be on Typhlosion. And then... That is your main line. And now you start to think about other things that go with Typhlosion. So, you know, maybe we, we've talked about my Typhlosion deck earlier in the episode, so I'll use a little bit of that as an example. Uh, Latiasi X has a different weakness and it deals a lot of damage. It's really nice. Um, maybe you have like Rayquaza EX. Maybe you have a basic fire Pokemon that deals a bunch of damage, has to discard a bunch of fire energy. Not a big deal because Typhlosion a lot of the time accelerates. So things like that um are are the first thing that you need to think about as far as pokemon like what is your primary strategy and less so right. what are your techs and what is your kind of secondary lines and that kind of thing i think that kind of like um i was trying to say earlier was if you understand like what the archetype you're trying to but you're i'm uh, sorry the archetype that you're drafting if you understand what the cards are like doing together you're gonna have a way easier time evaluating cards on that principle because if you understand that, like what tyrant, like the what tyrant, uh, sorry, tyrant stars, typhlosions are in the cube, um, you'll know like that maybe a card like Latu CX will fit really well in that strategy because you'll have means of setting it up. So uh, I definitely agree. Uh, making sure you understand what your deck is trying to do, whether it's taking prizes, setting up some sort of combo, maybe uh, you know do like a board wipe or do some sort of uh, advantage or even control. Making sure that you are, you know, putting yourself in the best position by understanding those lines is what's going to definitely help your cube before you even get to, you know, taking any cards. Yeah. And, and you know, honestly, the biggest thing here is a lot of the time the simplest thing here, and it's just read your cards. Like, right. read, read your Pokemon, see what they do, see all of their effects. It's going to be so much easier to build a strong deck around something if you really understand it well. So take a minute, you know, nobody, if you're playing with a group that rushes you because you're reading your cards, like play, play with a different group. <laughs> it's, uh, right, yeah. it's easy yeah. enough to find a that's different not, group online right now. Exactly. Yeah. Funny, so, I was going to um, say funny story is, uh, I remember I was drafting once, um, and this guy was building his whole deck around carving break. He's going to use carving break to set up some like big attackers, but he didn't read the carving break only attaches to fighting Pokemon. Oh no. <laughs> But he didn't figure that out until the last pack. <laughs> I just oh, remember no. him being like, 
my whole draft's terrible. And we're like, why? <laughs> like, I just read what this card does. <laughs> so, <laughs> moral of the story is read your cards. It can be really important. Oh my gosh. I remember I had somebody uh, play a base set scoop up against me uh, on like a stage two Pokemon. And they just hadn't read it, and they assumed it was just an auto head super scoop up, and that's not what that card does at all. So definitely just read your cards word for word, even if you think you know what it does. Unless you've like specifically seen that card and played with that card recently, just give it another read over. It's not going to hurt you at all, and it could help you a lot. <laughs> so Yeah, and I mean, the hard thing about Cube, too, is that you're dealing with cards from all over the, you know, Pokemon's life cycle, so that's Sometimes, like, effects, like, wording changes and, like, how things work are different. So you really want to make sure you're not assuming that this card is always going to do what it does because there's another card like it. Like, there's a lot of discrepancy. So just be aware of that. For sure. So, then, so you understand the strategy you're going for. Um, are you looking to just take, like, the same type of, like, Pokemon? Or, like, how are you, like, prioritizing your cards from there? You can um but you can also do some other things so kind of moving into support pokemon you can play lines that work well with your type say you have typhlosion typhlosion is generally a pokemon that accelerates fire energy maybe you decide to play arcanine because arcanine is often a pokemon that deals a lot of damage for a lot of fire energy doesn't really accelerate to itself you have that nice combo so sometimes that can mean taking a bunch of pokemon of the same type but oftentimes, a support line is not of the same type, or it doesn't do exactly the same thing. Um, and, and a lot of the time, if you take a whole bunch of Pokemon of the same type, say you take a bunch of the Stage 2, a bunch of the Stage 1, and they're all Grass Pokemon, you put them together, sure, the deck might work, but if you play against a Fire deck, you're just going to lose, like, right away. So, thinking about things like that, thinking about what you might be weak to, what your opponents might be playing, uh, things like that can really help you out. Um... As far as support, I would say draw and search Pokemon are the first most important thing you need to think about. Things like Claydol, Delcaddy, Uxie, Stormfront Bronzong. You know, th things that essentially they're in the same vein as supporters. Um, things that help you execute your strategy. And then after that, you look at uh, things that shore up your weaknesses. Things that hit bad matchups for weakness. Things that resist bad matchups. Um, you, you don't want them to take up a ton of space. Like you don't really want to play a whole separate stage two line. It's like two or three Pokemon thick just because you're like weak to a certain type. Uh, but I mean, there are, there are decks that will do that and that will want to do that. But usually it's because that other stage two line provides some other advantage in addition to covering that weakness. So it's, it's not always obvious what a good partner for your line is and it's not always obvious if you should have a partner for your main line but uh generally shoring up shoring up weaknesses is a, a good way to go and uh, the last way to kind of look at it is disruption um that would be ability lock so like garbodor with garbotoxin muck from fossil item lock um seismitoti x vile plume from undaunted gothitelle anything like that that will kind of slow your opponent down, shut it off. That can be useful in a lot of different decks. You will need to think about that when you're building the rest of your deck, but let's say, you know, you get a, a Garbotoxin Garbodor line. Well, that will definitely influence the way that you build your deck, and it could be a really strong asset that you can use. So that's going to be something that you need to consider moving forward in your draft as well, and, and that plays more to that kind of partner role because you're not going to be able to just build a Garbotoxin Garbodor deck. Like, you're going to have to do something else as well. So um, 
that that kind of fills that niche as well. Then we're talking about Pokemon, and there's another part of it too is energy because you can't attack with Pokemon if you don't have energy, right? That is true. Uh, so I would say rule one of Cube is you need more energy than you think. Uh, you are right. you are not going to get away with your nine, ten, eleven, whatever energy that you get away with in standard. <laughs> your deck is not going to be that consistent. And you're not going to give up three prizes when you lose a single Pokemon. So I like to have 13 to 15 for most decks. Um, usually I like to have kind of 14, 15, but uh, 13 can be okay as well, especially if you have solid recovery. Um, some strategies need even more, though. So like if you have a Rain Dance strategy, uh, using something like Blastoise from Boundaries Crossing or... Um, or for Alligator Prime, or Blastoise EX, anything that attaches energy as much as you want, um, then you're going to want to run more. So I'd say 15 is kind of your baseline there. 18 to 20 is not even is not even crazy. I mean, like people see like 50 or 20 energy and they're like, holy cow, that's so high. And it is. It is definitely high. But your deck benefits from having that higher energy count. Being able to take advantage of your rain dance effects is so important in your rain dance decks. It, it literally defines it. So you want to have the energy to actually make that matter. <laughs> and uh, right. energy draw is another one that we see a lot with Nine Tails from Hard Gold Soul Silver, with Heat Factory, with Delcaddy from uh, Ruby and Sapphire Power Keepers, where you discard energy and draw cards. The, the energy that you discard, unless you have ways to recover them, of course, which we've talked about those those are cards that you're not going to be able to attach to your Pokemon, so you don't need to draw one energy a turn like you do with most decks. You need to draw two energy as a turn, or, or even more, because you're going to be discarding one of those and drawing cards, and then you need to be able to attach to your Pokemon after that. So uh, lots, of, lots of things to think about with your energy line. I would say in general, people, especially people new to Cube, run too few energy. So if you are going lower than 13 energy... Really make sure that you have a lot of strong energy recovery, that your deck doesn't have serious energy needs, and uh, and make sure that that's a conscious, conscious decision and not just one that you make because you're used to playing in standard. Yeah, and I think too is also making sure you're... Because um, in Cube, sometimes, a lot of times what we see is you're not just going to have like one type of attacker. Like You might have a fire type. But you also might have like another type to leverage the weakness. So... Making sure you're also balancing the amount of energies for each type that you're utilizing. Um, obviously, like, you're not going to have, like, 20 fire energies, 20 water energies. But, like, if you need three fight energies to use an attacker, you must make sure you have three fight energies to use that attack. So, <laughs> yeah. um, really consider what your deck's trying to do and how much energy it's going to take to pull that off. So, when you add other attackers, is, are you going to be able to afford to run different colors energy? You, you should be thinking about those things as you're building your deck and drafting. Definitely, yeah. I mean, if you have a bunch of different colored energy requirements, then special energy are going to be a lot more value to be valuable to you. Things like Rainbow Energy, Poland Pokemon, things like that. Uh, blend Energy. If you have a deck that's only one type, then you might not need a lot of energy. Need a lot of special energy. You might not need a lot of anything special at all. Uh, however, you could take advantage of things like rescue energy, like weakness guard, things that provide colorless energy that you can kind of take advantage of because you already have tons and tons of energy of the source that you need. So you don't need to worry about, you know, how am I actually going to attack with this Pokemon? At that point, you can worry about, you know, what are my energy doing for me, kind of. Uh, 
So that, that can be really helpful as well. Um, and then as, as just a couple of additional notes, if you accelerate energy, if you move energy, if you search a lot of energy, or if you just need a lot of basic energy, because some synergies like uh, Gold Duck Break or just a lot of old Pokemon will require basic energy to use their synergies or their effects, then you want a lot. You, you want enough to be able to use those effects every single turn, use them reliably. Uh, I mean, you definitely don't want to be stuck with a Feraligator Prime and a handful of lightning energy because <laughs> right. it doesn't accelerate lightning energy. <laughs> like they're, they're just... They're not dead cards, but they're not useful, uh, especially not immediately. And then um, no matter what the deck, I would say you generally need energy recovery. Even if you think you don't, even if you have a really low energy requirement, having some kind of at least flexible energy recovery. So say like super odd, maybe most of the time it finds Pokemon, but sometimes you find some energy because you had to like ditch three of them off of a Juniper and you play 12. Like... That's that's something that will happen, and you have to be prepared for that in a lot of cases. I think something, too, along those lines that um, I know I had learned over time is that, yeah, if I'm running, like, 12 energies, that's great, but, like, who's to say I'm not going to prize at least two of them and then maybe have to discard three of them, like you said, I'll have a six more? Then I'm only left with, like, a lot... I'm always with a lot less energy than, like, what I would normally expect. So those super rock can come in, you know, real clutch whenever you're running low on those resources, because if I can't take knockouts because I don't have enough energy, I'm just going to lose. So you might not think that it will ever come up, but it tends to come up pretty frequently in games. Yeah, and, and people fizzle a lot. Even experienced cube players fizzle. They they just don't play enough energy. They don't play enough ways to get their stuff back. Um, and, and losing the game, not because you're not able to set up, but because you literally don't have the energy left in your deck to continue to attacking for the rest of the game, it feels bad. You do not want to be in that right. situation. Save yourself the uh, save yourself the pain and just you know draft a super rod or a rescue stretcher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and play enough Thank energy to be later. Definitely. Uh, I guess the other nuanced thing is like you know thinking about like what your strategy is doing. We've also seen like no energy decks be <laughs> sometimes a thing, right? With like Flygon using like Sand Slammer or like uh, Tail Revenge. So yeah. In those decks, you aren't really thinking about like putting like a bunch of water and juice in your deck, which. Um, I'd say those strategies don't really come with that much. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, when you're making a zero energy deck, like some of the ones that Andrew mentioned, just uh, you know, be realistic with your energy needs. Or do you have enough cards that support your zero energy attacks to actually play a full game using them? Or, or say, Sand Slammer Flygon. Do you have the recovery to recover that Flygon? four or five times to be able to put it in the active over and over and over again? Or should you put some energy in your deck to be able to actually attack with that Flygon, with some of your other Flygons? Is your Sand Slammer deck going to be better if you put those energy in so you can use the attack? I mean, those are things that you definitely have to think about when you're building your deck. You can't just take for granted, oh, my Pokemon doesn't have any attack costs, so I can just play no energy. You need to think, well, you know, maybe, maybe at some point in the game I'm going to be better off if I'm able to actually attack for energy requiring attacks, then uh, then you could probably put at least a few into your deck to be able to be prepared for that situation. For sure. So that kind of brings us to at least the end of what cards you need. So just to, uh, I guess, reiterate, so definitely you're going to need your floor of consistency as your supporters and items. Um, then you start getting into Pokemon, you should really consider what strategy you're going for. Uh, and really, a lot of that can be defined by what cards you see through the draft. So, 
don't necessarily have to have an idea when you sit down of I'm drafting Typhlosion. Um, but more so, you know, what is available to you in the draft? You want to be looking at that. Uh, another thing we'll be thinking about is partners. So support Pokemon like Claydol, Uxie, Delcaddy, Pokemon that are going to help you, again, be consistent because consistency is number one thing. Um, also Pokemon that maybe help shore up bad matchups, like anything that helps maybe type fixing or anything that helps maybe hit something that would hit you for weakness. And the last thing we get to is energy. Energy is obviously the way you attack, so you want to make sure you're playing enough of them and that um, when you're in the draft, you can leverage, I mean, you don't usually draft energy, but you will see special energy that could be helpful. So making sure you're evaluating what your deck does, what type of energy you're going to need, um, all that stuff is very helpful. And I think the last and one of the most important things on this topic is just keeping track of your draft. I know I found myself, it's a lot easier right now we're doing it online, but like when I'm at the table, it's like I maybe I'll draft a rescue stretcher. Or no, actually better case this happened before. It's like I'll draft a pal pad and then I'll do that in like the like pack in like the first round of packs. But then like we'll get to the end of the draft and then I'll see a pal pad and I'll be like, oh, that's a great card. I'll take that. But I don't, I'm not playing. I'm playing two pal pads. So if I would have just looked at my draft, I maybe could have taken a better card. I don't know if that ever happens to you, Connor. Oh, no doubt. No doubt at all. I think online drafting is amazing for that because at least in the Google Sheets drafter, you can sort your card pool really easily so you can see exactly mm -hmm. what you've got. But, uh, you know, just, just keep an eye on your cards. You know, if you're playing with a group that doesn't let you actually look at your draft during the pack, that's fine. Make sure you get a good idea of what you've got between packs. Uh, but uh, just keep keep an eye on what you've got. Because a lot of the time, that will help influence your strategy moving forward. It will prevent you from taking cards that you've already got or that you don't need. And it will also show you, you know, maybe you've got two Delcaddies, but you haven't actually taken a Skitty yet, and you thought you had, but you hadn't. Things like that, I mean, they can very radically change your draft. Like, you get to the end of the draft, and you don't have enough basics to play your support lines. That's going to be huge. And and it, you might have built your entire deck around being able to use Energy Draw every turn, and then you suddenly can't. That's huge. And it so. happens to a lot of players, so... Uh, I mean, if it happens to you, don't feel bad. It definitely, it, it, it's really easy to fall into if you're not keeping track of what card you need. Uh, it also kind, kind of comes up too, if you end up switching strategies mid-draft, like, all right, well, I got these stage two lines, so I'm going to start playing the second set, but then you get to like the last set of packs and you're like, wow, I don't have any of the evolving basics. That can be horrendous. So you always want to keep track of things that are in your pool. And, you know, if you need to take an evolving basic for your deck to even work, like that can sometimes be more important than taking like, uh, even like a, strong gust effect like Lysander if it really comes down to your deck not working without without like I don't know a horsey or something yeah I mean if you're in the last pack and you have like a Delcaddy and no Skitty and a large portion of your draft revolves around being able to use energy draw then like that Skitty is coming in over that Lysander as bad right. as it feels and I mean being able to play the game is more important than being able to do powerful stuff other outside of that yeah, and even if you get flagged for it, like people are gonna be like, "Who passed this Lysander to me?" I mean, like, at the end of the day, if your deck doesn't work. The Lysander even matter? No, it, and, and that's exactly the point. It doesn't. So I think I think we've pretty much covered all the cards you're looking at for for your draft and like what you're gonna need. Um, now let's talk about like us piecing that part together. The actually, you know, actually winning games. Yeah, so I think about drafting it at kind of three phases, uh, or learning how to cube well in three phases. You have your your introductory phase where you don't really understand it at all, um, and then you have your kind of mid phase where you understand how to make a deck that works, and you can you know draft competently, 
And then you have your your like high level phase where you can not only build a deck that works, but you can build a deck that works and has lots of cool options or does things that feel unfair or broken uh, for, you know, to use the common terms for these kind of things. But uh, the, the deck that really pushes its advantages as hard as it can. And once you get up to the highest levels of play, that is going to be the kind of deck that you need to win. Yeah, and I think um, that's certainly where, where it gets tricky, is trying to, you know, bridge that gap between, I know the Pokemon trying to draft and the cards I'm going to need, but then it's like, you know, drafting the best of what I need. Exactly. So then where do we go from here? So we know what cards we need to take. We know, like, what generally what we're going for, and we're drafting cards that are generally going to give us the most con the consistent version of what we're looking for. Um, what th What then are we thinking about when we get to the table? So the, the biggest thing that you can do to make your drafting better from, especially if you're like a mid-level drafter who's trying to become an excellent drafter, is learn how to understand signals. And uh, I, I have it written in here in the show notes as basically better than cheating, and I stand by that. <laughs> I mean, really, like, you can look at everybody's draft pools and you will have basically the same information that you would have if you understood like how to read the signals at the table. So when we say signals, what do we talk about? That means you are watching for cards going around the table. You are looking at a pack and then you are remembering the the big cards in that pack. I mean you're not you're not remembering every single card in a 12 card pack. It's just not feasible. However, maybe there's a stage two in that 12 card pack that stands out to you. Does it come around? Does it disappear? in that next go around and there are still good cards left in that pack things like that i mean those those show you very directly what the people around you are putting into their deck and what you're going to be less likely to be able to get uh, in contrast 12 card pack that stage two that you saw comes back around that shows you hey this is an open open archetype i can get into this and i can probably basically get whatever i want for this archetype because nobody else cares about it and that is that is the biggest way you are going to be able to, one, end up with a deck that works every single time. Because committing into an archetype and then not getting it is a very easy way to end up with a bad deck. But two, end up with a deck that is able to beat your opponents no matter how good they are. Um, yeah, I think each pack also like tells a story. So you you got to think about... like. How are people reacting to their pack, too? So if they're really interested in the line, like, let's just say, like, you know, if you call the last pack, crack a pack, we talk about strong energy being in the pack. And that's kind of energy, and that's a card you generally expect people to take pretty, uh, you know, early on. But if it happens to wheel back to you, that kind of tells you that people aren't really interested in fighting. So you got to pick up on at least what they aren't taking, because everyone's having the same information, per se, when they see the pack. I mean, granted, one card's always missing, but um, if they're not taking a particular card, there might be a reason why. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and, and even so, once you get better at it, the first thing that you look at are the big guys, you know, the stage twos. But as you continue down this rabbit hole of reading and interpreting signals, basics and evolving stage one start to matter too. So, you know, if you get two packs in a row and let's say Mareep is, is the last card in that pack. That means that most likely nobody is on the Ampharos line because there would have been less valuable cards in that pack for them, say in the last five cards, than the Mareep would have been. 
So you see that Mareep at the end, maybe you take it, and then in the next pack you see an Ampharos, and it's like, all right, well, maybe this is a good way to get into it. Um, I know that that's actually, you know, it sounds kind of unusual, and it's, it's difficult to conceptualize, especially if you're not used to interpreting signals already, but just to use an example, in, uh, in the July Cube League where we played RSPK, um, I noticed that Marsh Thompson and Mudkips were going around the table. I think three or four of them went around before the end of pack three, which is higher than usual. And, and nobody was taking them. So at that point, it becomes kind of obvious. Like, well, I mean, <laughs> you see this many. If anybody is on Swampert, then they are basically just deciding that Mudkips and Marsh Tomps are not important to them. So I picked <laughs> up a couple of Mudkips and Marsh Tomps, and then come pack four, which is a pretty late pack to get into your archetype, but you have that confidence that, you know, nobody is really on this, you can wait it out. Uh, come pack four, I saw the first Swampert, and then I saw another Swampert, and another, and by the end of the draft, I had all the Swamperts, and, and that deck ended up being really good, and it's because I picked up on those signals early, those basics in stage ones that were going around the table that nobody was really on uh, onto, and, and built my deck preemptively around seeing those cards because I knew that people would most likely not be on those later on. I think conversely, the opposite can be true too. Like when you're looking, when you see like a certain line, you know, come through your pack, but it doesn't come back. And then you see that pattern kind of continue where you don't see the, maybe see the evolving parts kind of tells you that that's maybe might be a contested line. And the trap you don't really want to fall into at that point is then going for a line like that because chances are you're probably not going to see something that a lot of people are fighting over. Yeah, exactly. And uh, another example of that would be the June Cube League. Um, in my first pack, I saw a Gengar. I'm like, Gengar sounds cool. I didn't really have anything that was competing with it, so I took the Gengar. And then I kind of watched. I saw, you know, a Haunter here, a Ghastly here in the first pack. I'm like, okay, if these go around, then I know that at least people have not hard committed to Gengar. In, in pack one, it's hard to say, but uh, none of those basics and stage ones came around. So I'm like, okay, Gengar, definitely not open. At the end of the draft, I found out there were three separate people at the table on Gengar. So wow. little signals like that and seeing what is and what is not coming around can give you so much information. And with every piece of information like that that you get, it can make your deck significantly more likely to be successful, to work out at a base level, and then also to be really powerful. Well, I, I think the worst thing is when you're when you when you when you miss that signal, and then you you end up getting really hard into a line, and then you just it doesn't work out because you're never going to find those pieces because everyone else is trying to take them too. Like Gardevoir is kind of something that like a lot of people will take frequently, and you know if you get like. I don't know, um, like telepaths early, great. Um, but like, you got to consider if you're really trying to draft that line, how hard is it going to be for you to achieve that successfully? Yeah, and and at some point, you know, if you're halfway through the draft, you've got like one Gardevoir, Curlias aren't really coming around, you know, you've got a couple of Ralts maybe, there, there could very well be somebody else at the table on your line and it might be important to pivot. Even, even a late pivot, onto a line that has nobody on it can have a much better result than sticking to one that you think, you know, you know, maybe I just haven't seen all the cards for it. So it it really depends on what you're seeing. 
uh, at the table, what you're seeing being taken and coming back. That's really the question then. Is like, when do you actually commit to the line? Because that's that's I think that's the hardest decision to make sometimes. Is when am I pulling the trigger that this is? I think I'm I'm into this line. I'm going for. I would say, at the point where I am sure I can at least make a solid deck out of the cards I have. That's that's where I'm ready to commit. So let's say you have two stage twos for a line. And one of those stage twos like defines the line and you can make a deck around that card. Good time to commit. Uh, even if somebody else is on that line, you at least have the cards to make a solid deck out of it. Um, maybe you have some really strong stage twos or some really strong stage ones and then a really strong support card for those cards. That's also a great time to commit. Like, let's say I have the best Magmar or the mag best Magmortar in a cube and I have Welder. Well, that can be a solid time to commit. Even if I only end up with two Magmortars, I can take some really powerful supporter recovery cards and maybe some other fire type Pokemon and I can have a really strong deck, even though I have a pretty thin Magmortar line, maybe somebody else is on it. Because I have that welder, I have those supporter recoveries, and I built my deck to be able to recycle that welder over and over. So essentially, once you are at the point where you have an aspect of your deck that you can create a strategy around, that's when you can commit. Yeah, and I think that's going to be different for everybody, and it's going to be different for everybody for every draft you do. Like, There's not going to be like a perfect moment where you're going to be like, ah, yes, I need to do it. Um, you kind of just have to decide when you're, you know, when you're comfortable saying, okay, I don't think anyone else is on this line. I am safe to, you know, commit to drafting those pieces. And I think that kind of also shows why it's better to stay open longer, like making decisions that are going to be generally good for any deck, as opposed to just picking any certain card for like, you know, like picking a strong energy, for instance, for another example. Like, yeah, that card's going to be amazing if you know you're drafting fighting, but like if I'm in like the first few packs, um, that card might not be as good as say something like Shaman or Ultra Ball. It's gonna go into any deck. Um, so ultimately, what you're looking for here is to you know make sure you're committing not to a line that's heavily contested for one, so you don't you know miss out on the card you need, but also make sure you're keeping track of what's in your pool that you have those pieces you need to you know make whatever deck you're trying to go for. Yeah, exactly, and uh, just finding the ways to. Um finding the ways to make your deck work and finding the aspects of your deck that you can really make into a strategy. That is, that is when you can safely commit to a deck, whether that be in pack one, whether that be in pack three or even later. Um, it's, it's something that is never going to be the same for you and something that is a, I would say a learned skill for sure. Would you, yeah, I think it definitely takes time and honestly a little bit of feel too. Like you kind of just get used to picking up on these signals as you just draft more and pay attention to them. I don't know if there's any other way around it. Yeah, and and really it's unfortunate. Some of these things do come from experience as well. And I think signals, so we can say how to interpret signals. We can tell you how to do that. But to actually draft and do it is a different task entirely and to be able to continuously apply those signals and what you're seeing and what you're learning to your draft that is going to be something that you have to learn on your own 
in, in a sense. Like not every single thing can be taught about cube, especially because there's so much complexity to it. Sometimes you will have to take something we say on this podcast, take something you read, and you'll have to actually apply it before it really internalizes. Yeah, but I think also understanding that, you know, these signals exist and that's something you can take advantage of might also be helpful. So, you know, just kind of take it with, not necessarily a grain of salt, but, you know, don't expect yourself to be a master of these things right away. I mean, I'm not. I don't think, I think everyone's always learning new things about Cube and uh, you can use these to kind of help improve your game, but, you know, always, always expect yourself to have to grasp a little bit more to get the, you know, get comfortable with it. Yeah, and, and just to highlight one of the things you said there, uh, always learning. I think that's a really good way to put it, especially with a format like this. Um, funny, there was an example from today. Um, a few friends of mine had made a list of their top picks for a, a Rochester in a friend's cube. So all face up, fixed Rochester, always going to be the same cards every time. And they put their pick order uh, card for card on that list. And I think we made the lists in September. So not that long ago, September, 2020. Um, and I didn't necessarily think that I had improved at cube significantly since then, but I looked at my old list and I'm like, wow, there are actually quite a few positions that I would change by, you know, at least like two or three spots. So the, the amount you learn just from playing and seeing what other people do and seeing what works well for you is, is just so high. Yeah, it's funny. I feel like every time, like, if I had to look at, like, what I valued as, like, important cards, like, a month ago, and that kind of applies to any point in my life, it, it, it always is going to change because, like, the more cubes I draft, the more I learn about, you know, what cards are, are you know, are better than others and what cards I value more. Uh, I think that's definitely, I mean, I, I feel like I would be in the same boat if I had to look at what my picks were, like, six months ago. <laughs> definitely. And, and, and other people will always expand your viewpoints. Yeah, other cubes too. Like honestly, it never if you never drafted like low power before and you only drafted high power, you might look at certain cards differently, um, because it's all about context, right? You gotta, you know, once you see cards in a different light, it might change your perspective and ways you could use them. Most definitely, things like uh, Andrew and I actually talked about this before the show. Galarian Zigzagoon, uh, it's not a bad card in any power level, for the record. Right. However, in in like low power, I mean, ten damage is tremendous. It, it can literally win you the game. So uh, it, different power levels definitely have different connotations as well. So I guess to carry on about the, um, when, we're, when we're thinking about what we're drafting to, I think something that happens far too often uh, when, you're, when you're trying to figure out what lines you take is I'm drafting a fire deck and I end up taking like grass, grass pieces at the same time, or I take some crucial grass pieces. I'm essentially hurting the field, right? when I do that. Yeah, so something that I used to do a lot and uh, something that I see people do constantly is, uh, you know, maybe they are playing a deck. So let's say they're playing fire. And let's say they know that the grass deck in the cube is really good. They'll hate draft the grass, cube, the grass cards because they're used to it. And then in the process, they'll remove one of their best matchups from the field. <laughs> so if if they had left that grass deck open, then the odds of somebody playing that deck would be much higher. And then they could hit that deck and then, you know, hit their cards for weakness. Even if the grass deck has some weakness reduction, it's not always going to be possible to completely avoid that. So they have successfully removed a good matchup from the pool. And now they have made their job harder 
in that specific draft. Right. I think this comes up a lot early in the draft. Like when you're you're still open, but like let's just say I have no intention of playing fire. Like I just right off the bat. But I see Walder and I'm like, oh, you know what? It's a good card. I'll just take it with no intention to play fire. Well, now if I go into water, I'm taking a huge piece out of one of my best matchups. So, I mean, I mean, it's not a reason not to necessarily take Walder if you plan on playing it. But like understanding like the impact that each card is going to have on the overall field is like some of that next level, you know, material you need to think about. Especially when it comes to like, okay, well, do I take strong energy? Or do I take, like, um, maybe, like, a different card that might not be as good in context? Well, if you're not planning on playing fighting, but you're planning on playing a deck that, you know, you're going to have a good matchup into someone who has strong energy, let them have it. it it's a great card, and, you know, it's going to be great in their deck. But it's going to be even better when you're playing against a fighting deck. <laughs> if yeah, your deck and, beats, you know, whatever strategy you're going, they're going for. And them having that powerful card makes them more likely to play that card as well. Uh, generally, this yeah, is something you, that you is less... You want them to play whatever deck is going to be, you know, you want them to play those decks, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, especially if your deck can handle whatever matchup it is. Yeah. It, and it's, it's a lot safer to do this toward the middle of the draft or basically just after you're set into whatever archetype you're playing, it becomes a lot safer to do this, to let things through. Cause like if you're right at the beginning of the draft, you're pretty open. You see that welder, probably a good idea to take that welder. Cause either you're right. going to end up on fire, which you know, you've already got a welder. You're going to be pretty happy to end up in fire or you are going to be taking it from a fire player and all you've taken out of that archetype so far is welder and they don't even know that the welder is gone a lot of the time so uh maybe their deck ends up weaker for it but if you're midway through the draft and you're like well now i've got two kingdras i've got two gardevoirs solid chance i end up on either one um then maybe letting the welder through could be okay just because you know, solid chance you end up on the Kingdra. Maybe that helps you push toward the Kingdra. Then you can draft with the Kingdra in mind. You can kind of push your draft that way. A lot of things to consider there that are that are not immediately obvious as far as giving yourself the best matchups possible and not taking good matchups for yourself off the table. Yeah, because I think, and also, and just like, you know, in retrospect, like if your deck doesn't, if your deck sets up perfectly and you still aren't beating those matchups, that's like a different issue. <laughs> So yeah, you to be so, comfortable with people also having, you know, key cards like those to, um, you know, almost in, in, enticing to play those, those, those types of decks. Yeah, I mean, if, if the cube is not very well balanced and say like the welder deck is just way better than the water deck, and even if you get a perfect water deck, you're never going to beat the welder deck, well, you know, then maybe, maybe hate draft the welder, but um, in, in general. Or, yeah, generally speaking, though. Yeah. yeah. You should definitely always, you know, you know leave those lines open for people. <laughs> You want you want those good matchups, exactly. Well, then I guess that comes to the next thing is like weakness is like kind of always like a big deal, right? Definitely, yeah. I I call weakness a bad matchup for sure. I, I mean, you're playing a lightning deck. You don't want to play the fighting deck. It's just not going to be a fun time. Um, so it's your most common bad matchup, but a lot of the time it can be one of your most avoidable bad matchups. And when I say that, there are so many different ways you can kind of attack or prevent your weakness in almost every deck. Uh, and, and in some cases, every single deck. So a couple of approaches you can have to mitigating your bad matchups. Um, so you can either not take them, so, so not have bad matchups, which is e much easier said than done. <laughs> uh, but right. you can also hate draft your bad matchups. So 
You know, say I'm hard committed to grass, I see that welder, I'm gonna snap that welder right up because that means that even if there's a fire deck out there, they're gonna be so much worse than they would have been with it with that welder. Uh, and that that just applies universally. You know, if if you expect to have a bad matchup against a certain strategy, say I can't beat power lock and I see damage bind Amphros in a pack, bam, damage bind is mine just because I know I can't beat that. And if somebody else takes it, somebody else plays it, I'm gonna lose. So things like that are really important to look at as far as hate drafting. But then you can also avoid weakness. You can beat weakness in other ways. So you can play support lines that resist your weakness. You can play support lines that hit your weakness for weakness. Um, sometimes they're, so let's say you're weak to fightings. A lot of the time there are going to be Pokemon that resist fighting, even in lightning, even in dark. Um, so keeping an eye on that, balancing out your weaknesses, playing things like weakness policy, weakness guard, weakness guard energy. Um, those are not different cards, but <laughs> uh, weakness guard energy, weakness policy. Those can significantly influence your ability to beat types that would normally be a bad matchup. So think about what you're going to do against your bad matchups, either in play, so let's say your bad matchup, let's say you're really, really vulnerable to cessation crystal or something. Well, maybe you take an extra tool removal card. Um, or if you're really vulnerable to a specific type, like I'm really weak to water this draft, well, take a couple of the strong water cards you see. You know, it lowers your odds of playing against that deck, and it also makes that deck weaker if it actually ends up coming to the table. So those are a couple of things to think about with weakness. Weakness is very often able to be mitigated or completely eliminated as a major concern for your deck if you draft with it in mind. So definitely think about not only what your deck does, but what bad matchups you're going to have, because that is going to be another way that you can level up from a functioning deck to a really great deck. Absolutely. And I think um, what this kind of goes to is that uh, or before we outline, you know, the cards you're going to need to build your deck and like these tips we just discussed is then like, you know, where do you go from there? So how do you take what's going on at the table and like what cards you're seeing and leverage, you know, to get generate an advantage? So uh, hopefully there was some good information that you took from that. I definitely um, even just talking through it, um, you know, makes me consider different parts of the drafting aspect when it comes to, you know, picking up on signals or thinking about um, your long-term effects as far as matchups goes. So hopefully something in here was helpful for you guys. Um, do you have any, uh, like, you know, concluding thoughts on this segment? Uh, concluding thoughts overall, draft supporters, draft recovery, and, uh, and don't just take a fat L to your weakness because that just feels so bad. Yeah, definitely want to make sure you're always giving yourself as many good matchups in the field as possible. <laughs> definitely. Okay, well, I think that's. I think we've talked long enough about drafting. Uh, we're gonna uh, go ahead and transition to our conclusion segment, uh, but stick around. So we'll give you guys a uh, a brief cube league up, uh, champions cube update, and we'll talk about um, basically how that's going and what to expect on the next episode. If you feel like you want to see even more cube content, I highly recommend you check out our YouTube channel at P3 Podcast. We have all the podcast episodes up to date, but also are planning on uploading some additional content. For instance, if you want to see Connor's draft from past weekend, that video is already up on our YouTube channel, so go ahead and check it out. Make sure to subscribe so you get notified when future videos come out. Now, on to the next segment.
All right, welcome back to this conclusion segment of the podcast. Now, if you didn't have a chance to tune in this past weekend, there was a Champions Cube which streamed all day. And then, Connor, how would you describe Champions Cube? I know we talked about it before. Uh, Champions Cube is kind of like uh, the World Championships of Cube. It's it's a collection of invite-only players who have qualified through events of the season. Um, this time around, very competitive. There were 21 players in total. Right now, we are down to 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 10. So there are 10 wow. players left. Um, 10 decks left. I guess as of recording this, there are 11, but by the time it comes out, there should be 10. <laughs> Some people still have to play their rounds, yes, right? There, the... there is one match still need to be played before Saturday. So uh, if you want to catch uh, the action, there is a VOD currently up on the Twitch channel for uh, P3. You can find links to that in the description. And for anyone who did tune in and might have seen the uh, stream itself, we were actually fortunate to be able to stream the drafting portion of it which was really cool. And, you know, we talked a lot about drafting already in this episode, and we actually featured uh, Connor on, on the on the stream deck. Basically, we got to watch him, his, like, you know, POV of him drafting his deck. And, Connor, what was that like? I know you got did you get a chance to watch that back at all. Uh, I haven't been able to. I've been super busy since then. But I was able to tune into the stream. Actually, I did. I did get to tune into the stream now that I think of it. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, my draft was really promising all around, but I missed a couple of big things. Um, I didn't prioritize item-based search enough, but then I never saw Missile Jab, Lucario, or Riot Honchkrow, and those are some of the biggest, most important tools that the deck that I ended up playing could get. Um, I figured that they were most likely in the last pack because the basics were very open the whole time, but they were actually just picked up at some point. So um, I was able to still make a deck, and I am still in the event. <laughs> I'm in the lower <laughs> bracket. Um, my next match should be doable. The match after that should be doable. But I don't think then I would be playing the matchup that knocked me to the lower bracket, and I would have to get pretty lucky to win that one, I think. Yeah, so what did you, what did you end up drafting for the people listening? Sure. Home? So I drafted uh, Dark with Lucario. Um, there is a Weavile from Secret Wonders that uh, searches your deck for two dark energy. They can be special darks, and they uh, it attaches them to your Pokemon in any way you like. It also has a power that turns your active Pokemon into a dark type. So that can be really good with special dark energy. I also have two dark claw. Um, so essentially a whole bunch of ways to boost my active Pokemon's damage and, and just be really aggressive. That's kind of the, the general game plan of the deck. Yeah, and I, actually what's interesting about that too is we actually saw another player, Mike Gibbs, draft a similar variant. And you said you thought his list was a lot better. Oh yeah, his his deck is far and away better than mine. Uh, he has the Riot Honchkrow that I missed. He has the Missile Jab Lucario that I missed. Uh, I think his item line is probably better, not drastically, but definitely, I think he, he's faster than me. Um, so, I mean, I don't know how many changes you could make to Mike's deck to make it better. <laughs> like, or I, I, don't, I don't know how many I changes list. there are. I was like, Mike, your deck's insane. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. It's It's wild. But your deck's insane, too. I mean, I think the problem was, um, I mean... If you guys haven't, you can check it out on our YouTube channel. Actually, the as of the time you're listening to this, the uh, VOD of the draft will be live. But uh, you have some insane decisions to make. I remember there was a lot of crucial pieces all clumped together in one pack. 
Like, what was that like to go through? Yeah, my experience with the draft was quite rough, I would say. Um, yeah, it, it was. You did really well. You made the best of it. it. It worked out in the end for the most part. But um, as far as the decisions, like, I really had to think hard. It was it was kind of uh, all or nothing as far as the number of mm -hmm. important cards that I was seeing. Um, so there was one pack where I saw three very important cards for my deck in the same pack and and two of them i would say were fairly high priority cards so it's like what do you do at that point and uh making those decisions was really really difficult and i did feel like i drafted those packs very well um but uh it was it was tough and it's it, interesting too because we spent a lot of this episode talking about you know the basics of drafting pokemon and the cards you will need but then there's this whole i feel like there's a whole other layer to it where you get into those situations where you have to make tough choices and deciding cards to wheel and all of this other stuff that on top of it that yeah you know leveling up in the sense of drafting can uh can take form in very different ways and i thought the way that you handled your packs there was a good example of that and understanding uh a lot of the um signals that we talked about in the later part uh basically how to um basically get the cards you need but you have to like you know take some risk i thought i thought honestly if, if anyone has a chance to go watch it at home it's a very good uh picture of how some of those signals work when you say yeah i'm definitely like that draft was in some ways a master class of understanding what your opponents are doing based on the cards that you're seeing and not seeing so there were a couple of situations where i was able to wheel some very important cards very late because I had the information that my opponents were and weren't drafting certain things, so I could take the things that I thought were more likely to disappear by the next go-around, and I could let the rest of it through. Um, so it was, it was a lot of difficult decisions, definitely a good thing to take a look at if you are looking for an example of, you know, what to do when you've got really important cards up against each other in packs and um, how you can navigate that situation. Yeah, solid. So, uh, outside of Connor's deck and Mike's big decks, they're kind of similar in a sense. Uh, another deck that really uh, surprised me was uh, the deck Omnipoke drafted with the SPs. Um, I don't know. I wasn't on my radar at all. How, was it on yours? Yes. Or something like that to uh, come it, out? I definitely had it outlined. Uh, it was one that I was watching out for pretty closely. Um the sp poison kind of strategy now he really boiled it down to like garchomp poison yeah and then he plays mightyena as well that synergizes with with the poison um i had the the sp poison with mightyena archetype like outlined pretty much exactly as he's got it um it's just he he was able to basically get every card that works perfectly with that garchomp c level x and uh and condense it down to just the four two garchomp and then a supporting star after line which uh not something that i maybe would have considered on my own as, as far as a very specific way to build that deck but it was definitely on my radar as one of the top contenders going in and it seems like he was able to set up so consistently um watched quite a few of his games while commentating and that deck seemed like it had all the pieces to just like run their opponent out of like pokemon to attack with like it would just set up a car a guard trump so fast and then how do you even deal with that sometimes yeah it's really tough and he can hit anywhere he uh <laughs> i i'm 
almost positive he knows this because he was joking about it. I do think he got pretty lucky with uh, seeing, like, the cards that he, like, all, all the cards that he really could have wanted in the draft came to him before they were picked up by somebody else, um, which it's uh, it's a very rare case. And if you're a skilled drafter like Omnipoke is, then you can turn that into, like, you know, an absolutely insane deck. And I, I believe he also recorded his draft. So if I think he posted it on YouTube. So it if is, it is out yeah. there, I will share it on, in the description so you all can view it as well, in addition to Connor's draft. Which is cool. It's like two great examples of drafting over this weekend. I think that's, uh, you know, what you want to see, especially if you're trying to learn, um, you know, the the complicated parts about drafting or the, you know, the, the level up plays uh, per se. Yeah, they can definitely be uh, good things to look out for. I think Omnipoke and I, too, have some pretty different perspectives on uh, on drafting in some cases. Um, he really, really values aggressive strategies more than other ones, and I have like a more balanced kind of outlook where I, uh, I place a lot of value on stage twos and slower strategies as well if I think the payoff is there. So um, you might hear him prioritize cards a lot differently than I might in certain situations. So definitely to... Very different and very good examples that you can look out for. Were there any decks that got drafted uh, that you were surprised by, especially as like the cube owner? So I was, I would say the deck that I'm the most surprised by is, uh, so Odysseus is currently in the winner's bracket finals and he is playing Mike Gibbs in the next round and he is playing this sp tank strategy that's playing a bunch of water pokemon um i think he's got eviolite in there or hard charmer both um suicune from one of the newer sets it deals 70 and heals 30 uh he's got rough seas so essentially what he does is he makes it very very difficult for his opponent to take prizes and um it it was not so it was a deck that I had thought of in the sense like water Pokemon are tanky and healing is very powerful, but the the specific angle that he went with it, like the SPs and being really low to the ground and really having no like big setup pieces, just being like big basics that heal themselves. That was really interesting. I thought I was not expecting that whatsoever. Uh, so always, always something new to see, especially when players are all very skilled and you have such a wide pool. Yeah, I thought the approach to that was really interesting too. I I remember looking at his list and I mean I, I mean I obviously respect him. He's he's made this far. He probably knows what he's doing. But you know, actually, you know, you look at it, you don't quite under, some actually don't look at it, you don't quite understand it at first. But then after seeing his games and what he was doing, it was he seems like he's got a very solid uh, game plan going on between um the sweet coon. He's got like a lot of like ways to heal. I think his rough seas is that right? Yeah, I think he has to. Um, just given that he's been so successful, I don't think that his deck would be as uh as far as it was if he didn't so I, let's just assume he does yeah so that is another very a deck i'm very interested in seeing um on stream more and hopefully uh hopefully he keeps uh going further now uh you're still in contention you're in the uh the loser's bracket but you're, you're clawing your way through um do you think you're gonna you know make it all the way through or do you have your bets on anybody else or what do you think who do you think is gonna win this whole tournament i think my odds of making a run are very very low potentially the lowest i've ever thought my odds of making a run are <laughs> <laughs> um i think i can make it through the next couple of rounds um but i'm gonna hit joe bernard eventually if i keep winning and uh i lost to him very convincingly the first time and i he would have to get unlucky for me to be able to essentially 
I can win this round okay, I can win next round okay. Once I get past that, I'm gonna have to start getting really lucky <laughs> to be able to make it any farther. So, uh, I mean, it's kind of funny on the contrary side, because Mike Gibbs drafted a similar version of what you drafted. He actually was able to 2-0 uh, Omnipoke. So he's on the other side of the bracket. Yeah, so... That so be interesting. He has a couple of really big pieces. He has Riot Honchcrow, which big uh, big miss on my part there. He has Missile Jab Lucario. Both of those cards have a much easier time taking knockouts on Garchomps. But he also is playing a Cessation Crystal, um, oh, that's right. So he is able to shut off Joe's poison and his healing. And I don't know exactly how their match played out, but I do know that he used Cessation Crystal to extreme effect. So um, that that was a big piece. Sounds really good. I, I, yeah, I, Mike's deck is insane. I he his deck is definitely my favorite to win the event. Like I don't think that there is any deck in the event that can reasonably beat him. Uh, so we'll have to, you know, keep an eye on Mike and see if he can just stay in the winner's bracket. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he has yet to lose a game. So I think he's the only player in the event that has yet to lose a game. So who do you think then might end up on the other side? Do you think any other deck's going to be you know, able to rival him in the tournament? So Odysseus's deck certainly scary, just having, like, tons of tank and, uh, and healing potential. Um, some decks are going to have a really, really hard time dealing with that. Mysterious player, I could see making a comeback. Mike actually knocked him out in the last round, and uh, he's got an extremely good deck as well. Um, and then I would say Joe Bernard would be my last pick for, you know, potentially being able to win the event and and come out at least in the finals. I, I would be surprised if the finals did not consist of some combination of Mike Odysseus I mean, Mike has to be in the finals now, but so uh, Odysseus, mysterious player, and Joe Bernard would be my my top three picks for the finals against Mike for sure. So we'll have to see how that unfolds. And if you guys want to watch it too, uh, we're going to be live this Saturday at eight thirty a.m. Central. The round one is going to start at nine, and basically we're going to be doing how many rounds, Connor? Five, six. Uh, we are going to be doing six rounds. And one small correction, Mike is not locked for winner's bracket. Or Mike is not blocked for grand finals yet. But he, He's in semifinals, right? Yes, he is in winner's bracket so, finals right now. So small so correction. We'll have to watch and see how that goes. Yes. Uh, but yeah, if you all want to tune in, just make sure to check out the Twitch channel. Again, links are in the description. So we hope to see you there. Last stream was great. It was a really fun time to watch. And uh, there's a lot of people in behind the team that's been making this all come together. So I encourage you, if you have, if you have some time, you want to tune in, watch some live cube action, which you don't honestly see a lot of, um, especially because a lot of people that just, uh, you know, film cube games. So uh, it's definitely a unique perspective to see. So I recommend it. Then again, I'm a little bit biased when you say. So. <laughs> um, also, if you miss any of the action this weekend, don't worry about it. There is going to be a VOD and hopefully some videos up on the YouTube channel of some of the more um impactful matchups we'll try to get as many as we can um no promises but we'll do our best um so with that all said uh connor any last thoughts on this episode about drafting or anything you want to say about champions cube um the uh i don't know i feel like the last couple of weeks between the last cube league and this champions cube really have showcased just um what everybody has been learning over the last several months and what i still have to learn uh so there there is always more to learn about drafting there are always other places to improve so uh definitely 
look for places in your game where you can make those improvements. And hopefully this episode was able to give you some direction on that. And hey, I echo the same thoughts. And if this all sounds interesting to you, I recommend you hop into the Cube Discord. Links again in the description where you can actually get in on the next Cube League in March. So we'll get more information about that later on. But for now, I think this is going to wrap up our episode. We've talked a long time about Cube and drafting, but make sure you guys are here for next week's episode. That'll be on February the 18th. We'll talk about how to actually build your decks optimally and play them. Because uh, playing a Cube game can be a lot different than playing the game in Standard. So uh, you don't want to miss that. I think that's going to do it for us. You've been listening to Pete Cube, the one and only Pokemon Cube podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Martin, brought to you with Connor Lavelle, and we'll see you guys next time.